Well, hello there, terrible warriors. Welcome back. I'm Justin, and I'm not alone today. As you can tell from the title, we are doing another podcast spotlight. And in the past, we've talked to actual play podcasters. This one was too good to pass up. As you know, there are other series we've been doing. Session Zero, where we have been making characters and talking about the character creation process of of various different tabletop games, some that we've played on the show, some that we haven't because it wouldn't have been appropriate for our format, but character creation still works. We've been having a really fun time looking through this process and spending more time examining that part of the game that in a lot of actual plays sometimes gets skipped over or edited out or saved as a Patreon special bonus episode. And and so we've had a really fun time having those conversations. And very recently, uh, as you might remember, way back, we did a Kickstarter special for Ross Rifles with Dundas West Games, creator Daniel Kwan, who came to join us on the show. He just very recently safely dropped off a physical copy of Ross Rifles that I had backed up for, for from Kickstarter. And when I mentioned what we were doing with Session Zero, he was like, you've got to talk to this person. He got me in touch on Twitter and, uh, and, and we're connecting. He's with me now. Ryan Bolter of the Character Creation Cast, a podcast all about character creation process and tabletop games. Oh my goodness, that just sounds like good synergy. Welcome <laughs> to Terrible Warriors, Ryan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. So I've been looking now you're, it says you're in season 33, uh, 35. Does that mean you, you're not, you haven't been doing it for 35 years. Oh gosh, so, no. so what is a series in the character creation mm-hmm. cast? How long have you been at this? What a, cause that's still a lot of episodes, a lot of mm-hmm. interviews. What is character creation cast? Let's start at the beginning. Character Creation Cast is where we invite guests along the industry and in the community of the RPGs to learn about their favorite games through the lens of character creation. Uh, So we basically talk about the game with our guests, we learn a bit about it, and then we dive right into the character creation process. Uh, Sometimes that includes world building. Uh, which is really fun as well. Yeah. We go all the way up to the part where we would just start talking about, okay, what is our what does our start look like? Uh, and then we stop. Uh, and we never play these characters. We put them in a nice little package and uh, file them away for all of eternity, which is very sad. <laughs> but I, I, I've been feeling the same way. What we started doing is uh, uh, I've been going on to my partner's iPad and I've been drawing up the character sheets to make them look nice and posting them mm-hmm. <laughs> on our Patreon channel. So at least they live somewhere I know. And, 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 and we might pull <laughs> them out in the future because some of the characters we've made in Session Zero, I'm like, oh, I really want to know more about what this Klingon chef mm-hmm. is doing because he sounds like such a wonderful character. But now he's yeah. done and he's gone and we're off to the next game. Yeah, so each series is basically uh, three episodes a piece, and it's one series per month uh, that is released. And uh, a whole series goes over the first two episodes are the learning about the game and character creation. Wow. Uh, once that's done, uh, we talk about the process with our guests. Uh, so we actually discuss how it went, how it compares to other games. Um, and then we go through my favorite part, uh, the fan fiction portion. Uh, where we talk about, theoretically, if we did play, uh, what would our characters be up to? Uh, and, and that's been really fun to to kind of explore that headspace without actually, you know, playing the game itself. Yeah, extrapolate where that goes. We've, uh, true story, way back on Terrible Warriors, we played the Seventh Sea. And we did, we did four episodes on that. We had a good time. And then we ended. And that was like three or four years ago now. Mm. And since then, my partner who was on that game with us, we go for hikes 
And while we're walking, we just talk about what these two characters are still up to. And we have oh, now yeah. generated like years of content after that game ended on all the little places that they've mm-hmm. gone to and all the characters they've met and so much. And we're still like years later, these characters live rent free in my head. Oh, that's uh, even, lovely. And, and, and part of that, that fan fiction that you mentioned, that's um, I love that. That's so yeah. fun. Yeah, it's it's super wonderful. Uh and uh, the one of the, our latest series anyone can wear the mask uh by Jeff Stormer. That game is basically that. Uh you draw cards and you you figure out uh kind of the scenario and then you set up the scenario and you talk about hey what happened. You you don't you don't just like roll dice and for every action that you do you're you're telling a story together instead of you know actually role playing out scenes and stuff. Uh, and then you figure out where it goes from there. It's pretty cool. So what got started? Why did you decide to get involved in this project at the very beginning? Why explore just this one phase in the game? Like, it's a very consequential mm. phase. But uh, as as I was mentioning off the top, a lot of actual play podcasts, I mean, they might only be playing one game. So if they do mm-hmm. character creation, it's one episode, and then they never return to it ever again. And as new characters yeah. come in, we're not hearing that character being created. They just join the show. Or if they were like Terrible Warriors where we did one-shots, we only had so many hours. And if we did character creation, we had less time to do the story. So we would do that before we would record. We would make our characters, yeah. and then we would record our game. And mm-hmm. so for a lot of listeners who use actual plays as a place to learn tabletop, Mm-hmm. I found this was a part of the game that I'm, I'm sorry, I'm answering your question myself that, that got <laughs> ignored and, yeah. and, 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 and got um, uh, kind of pushed off to the back burner, even though without mm-hmm. it, no game. So, so tell me what for you, what was, that was my uh, inspiration to do our session zero. Yeah. Thing. So for character creation cast, why did you jump into doing this? Uh, and, and what was that inspiration for you? So it was a cold day back in January 3rd of 2018, uh, where I was just posting random stuff on Twitter and I threw out there a, an alliterative, uh, character create cast podcast idea about this exact show. Right. And the following day, I couldn't get the idea out of my head. I'm like, this doesn't seem to exist right now. Everything like you just said, is all actual plays. Uh, nobody's talking about like the, the first thing that you're supposed to do when you start playing a game, create characters. Uh, so I said to my podcast support group that I was in at the time, Hey, I've got this idea. I really want to run with it, but I don't want to do it myself. And Amelia immediately said, Ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. This sounds awesome. And goodness gracious, uh, we put our brains together over the next like couple of weeks or so, came up with uh, a, a format for the show, recorded a couple test episodes, and then just started recording. And uh, the rest is kind of history. We went from idea to release in uh, less than four months, less than three months or so. Yeah, give or take. Great. That's, that's fast. It was a whirlwind. Yeah, uh, but w- once we got the nerves out of the way after that first recording, uh, things were a blast. Uh, we covered so many different games, and we kind of got 
addicted to this whole interviewing amazing people and hearing them yeah. gush about things they love. So, so character creation class starts. You go through your four months of whirlwind, and what was mm-hmm. what were those first games like? Was there a specific type of game you were focusing in on, like Powered by Apocalypse or Indie or or out of print? Uh, what was what were some of the choices that you're making on what games did you want to explore? Because if yeah. you just character creation and tabletop, I mean, it's all kind of lumped in as one genre, but mm-hmm. within tabletop are hundreds of different iterations yes. of how to play is it more rules and dungeon crawling or mm-hmm. simulation, or is it more story and free form? You mentioned there's some games where character creation, we just did last week, a game called Nibiru there is no character creation. Your mm-hmm. characters are amnesiacs. And so you, oh, you the game is world building and coming up with kind of a very mm-hmm. loose concept of who your character thinks they are. But you're yeah. not going to get to create your character until after the game starts and you start creating your memories as you're rolling the dice and, and, yes. and having flashbacks come upon you. And of course, uh, you, uh, I mentioned Powered by Apocalypse and you mentioned world building. Some of mm-hmm. these games you can't do by yourself. You have to do together as a group because Mm -hmm. you're answering questions from each other to form the rules of your world. So uh, was there a choice on what kind of game you wanted to go through or did you just start grabbing the ones off the shelf that were your favorites? Uh, We we didn't even grab our favorites right away. Uh, First, the first game that we covered was Dungeons and Dragons, mainly because we wanted to have the quote unquote most popular role-playing game as our first set of episodes so people could so people could find it and then we would also have that kind of as a uh like a control test right so this is kind of the uh if this is dungeons and dragons compare this series to the rest of the series it uh, is like the common language isn't mm -hmm. it like mm-hmm. you can, no matter what game you're talking about, we haven't done D and D on our on our session zero, but we're constantly referencing it of yeah. a game like D and D, because even games that are so removed, yep. you can't you can't help it. It's 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 classic rock, and it just <laughs> you can't escape it. It's going to be there, right. and it is no matter what. We've all played our own favorite little indie titles, but we all have a single common denominator. Yeah like it or hate it exactly <laughs> yeah so, so we you start with D. started with D. uh we we learned uh from uh from neil powell and tall squall uh two wonderful people in the community and uh, we went from D to our second series masks a new generation powered Hell by yeah. the apocalypse so uh so we we went from kind of uh very old to uh newer pbta and that was our first PBTA game that we really covered. Uh, was that covered like that Whiplash with... for you? Mask is one of my favorite games. Yeah, it was really interesting. Tonally, it's very different. Like it, it uh, is. When you make your characters in that game, you're also generating their origin stories and yep. how they came together. And like Powered by Apocalypse games, you're answering questions that connect yep. your social stories. So in D&D, you're making a character that's going to fit into a world the GM has made. In Masks, yeah. you're making a world that the GM is going to have to respond to. They're yep. not they're not very much in control of that world. Yeah. <laughs> right down to the names of their arch nemesis and that. It, it was fantastic because we, we teamed up with the Protean City uh, crew. Oh, uh, fun. For, for the recording that series. And we actually created 
in canon characters for their world. Oh, that's fun. Uh, so, so the characters that we created technically exist in the background of Protean City. Um, one of those characters, uh, Brandon Lee and Gambetta's character, appeared actually in a few episodes of uh, Protean City Comics. And one of the major antagonists and antagonistic corporations that that, uh, that person kind of leaded uh, became a huge plot point in, in some of the storylines, which was really, really fun to see. So you're, you're, you're getting your sea legs, as it were, with creating these characters. And that yeah. was back in 2018. You've done, if, if I'm correct then, so every time you're doing a series, it's a new rule set that you're picking up, right? Mm-hmm. So you've done... It is a new game, uh, except for Series 19, which was three oh, small fun. games. Like one-page RPGs, small, or...? If, if Well, it was it varied. There was a, a one-page, there was a few pages, and then there was like a 30-some-odd-page one. And uh, they were all games that were designed to create characters quickly and uh, get up and running and play a game uh, quickly, uh, which was really fun. We did one last job. Um, we did uh, in Inspectors. And we did uh, Love and Justice uh, by Sendalino, um, which was a hack of lasers and feelings. Um, and uh, yeah, we did that uh, three three episodes in a row, and and we compared them all in the final episode, which was really interesting. So thirty six and counting games that you have gone through, plus give or take with those micro games. Uh, yeah, what has been your you you've got a much bigger big view picture of what I'm getting mm-hmm. into here with our session zero bit. And I'm only planning to do yeah. session zero maybe for the next year. So this okay. was like a stopgap between our actual plays, just so I still was doing something. Yeah. But for you, it's your main, <laughs> it's your main primary focus. So exactly. 30, you know, 2018, we're into the third or fourth year now. You've done 36 games. Yeah. What is the the big takeaway that you've had with with character creations? What's was there anything that surprised you while you were looking through of of commonalities or things that are really novel with with character? What is it that there's something that's, that kept you hooked for this long that we're, we're you're getting into? It's just so different. Like every single game has their own uh, quirks to character creation, right? And um, you you go from games like D and D and Masks, and then our third series was um, Starcrossed by Alex Roberts. Uh, where you pl- it's a two-player game. It's the Jenga game. It's the Jenga game. Yeah. Yeah, you play as uh, basically people that really, really want to be together uh, romantically, but they cannot because it would be very detrimental for whatever reason to do so. And it, once that tower falls, then, you know, your characters give into their feelings and then you have points based on how many things you pulled. But... The character generation, it really surprised us because that series, we created three pairs of characters uh, between uh, myself, Amelia and Alex. We got so invested in these characters and their stories and the character creation is so fast in that game. There's only like maybe six, eight questions or so. But it was genius because uh, like one or two of the questions, you have to hand your character sheet to the other player and they have to fill something out for you. And you, you have a chance to you say, no, I don't think so. But 
like having that sort of trust before you even play the game in your other player, just like a relationship, you need to have that sort of trust with one another. Yeah, that's genius for the theme of the game where you're having to hand over. It blew my mind. And and then from there, like, uh, you know, building up of what the game plays like and and all that sort of stuff like this game is brilliant. Yeah, I've seen some examples online of it. it, They don't have to even be human. One of the examples was two dogs at a dog park. Their owners are moving to different cities. This will be the last day they meet at the dog park. Yeah, it's it's wild. And so you're not you. There's no choice about it. Your relationship is doomed. You're never. And if you if you tried, you would have to run away from home and and become a stray and and die on the street. Yeah, there's like a window. Right. There's like a window of a certain amount of blocks you can pull. Uh, And Mm -hmm. if you get in that that small window, then you have the perfect ending with one another. But if you get too many, uh, it goes backwards a bit. And if and if you end the game with the tower still standing, then nothing ever happens. And there's such an intention with that game of the kind of love yeah. between these two characters doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't even have to be romantic. It can be aromantic exactly. to, a, to a degree. And, and uh, it can be like the AI and its developer yeah. and the, the artificial intelligence. If anyone found mm-hmm. out, they'd shut it down or, or they'd separate the yeah. two of you and, uh, uh, or, or two pro wrestlers where if the world found out their careers would be yeah. over. And, and so it's, it's, uh, uh, those were, those were the three examples that, have, that I, I recall at the top of my head. And it just sounds like those three are also different. Yeah. And also none of those are ones that I immediately would have pegged to that yes. game as, 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 as character tropes that I would have expected would work so well. Yeah. It was one of my favorite series. It still actually is probably my favorite series that we recorded, um, after all this time in, it was our third one. Uh, somehow we peaked at three. And you've just been chasing that dragon ever since. <laughs> we we have been. We got very close with anyone can wear the mask. But uh, one of the big things that I, I'm taking away from all of these uh, series is that the the discussions uh, kind of sometimes go places that we don't you know anticipate right away. We had uh, discussions on consent with Alex, and kind of went more in depth into that, and and it was really really mm-hmm. helpful. I think, uh, to a lot of people. And then, uh, other games that we covered, uh, the discussions just kind of go into some really interesting places, especially, uh, when we're talking with the developers of the games, kind of seeing their intent behind the design, uh, has been really eye opening in a lot of cases. Yeah. Because a lot of these times, especially in a, in a power by apocalypse game or, or games like Spire that we just did, I find the, you know these mm-hmm. are they're not like classes like Dungeons and Dragons. There, there we go comparing it again to D anD D. But they're 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 story prompts. They're they're yes. ideas in a, in a package where when you pick up that character, go to masks, and you pick up the legacy. It doesn't matter what your power mm-hmm. is. That's like the last thing that matters about your character. What matters is you're the next in line of a many you know, other heroes who have all shared this name and you've got the weight of the world yeah. on your shoulders of all these expectations of what you are going to be as the next great Ultraman. Yeah. And so the uh, designers of those games have those stories in mind when they make those tropes. Mm-hmm. And and yet, of course, once you get a hand on that, you can run off with it and, and take them into places you didn't expect. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it, we've covered, like, I've learned so much about 
how character creation is set up in all these different games, you know, from the the traditional where pick a pick a character class and and all that sort of stuff all the way to the yeah, roll your stats, pick your equipment. Yeah, roll your stats, equipment, all that stuff all the way to like the anyone can wear the mask. We didn't even name our characters. Uh, we didn't describe them. We didn't give them pronouns. It was just the hero, the villain, the city. And uh, and we still had one of the best recordings, you know, that we've had because of this this phenomenal game where where all three of these pieces, the hero, the city and the villain, if you take any of them away, the whole game kind of falls apart a bit. And seeing the how they are symbiotically related to one another just kind of blew our minds and and we just we just ran with it. It was it was fantastic. That's really I'm going to look into this game. It is so good. Uh, we've never recorded it, but the two games, ironically, they don't have character creation baked into them. Yeah. And yet looking back, the characters that came out of those games are the ones that have still give me chills when I recall the whole story was Fall of Magic. Okay. Which is played entirely on a scroll mm. with coins as your character tokens. Oh, wow. All you are told at the beginning is magic is dying. The magus is dying with it. We travel together to Umbra to where magic was born. And that's it. Oh. That's all the world building you are going to be given. <laughs> Every single time you read that to a different table, they are going to take different things from that. Oh. And I've played games where the Magus dying is a good thing because they're an evil despot. Yeah. Uh, they're a Sauron character. Or the Magus is an organization, an army that's chasing you to Umbra. Or, uh, or magic dying is terrible. Nature is going and dying with it. Or magic is dying. This is wonderful. We'll finally be free of the magic that holds this, this whole world in frozen ice. Yeah. Uh, and so we travel to Umbra. So the, the the goals and the reasons differ every single time you play. You you then have um, a choice of a name and an origin that you pick. You just basically circle uh, from from the left of the scroll, yeah. and then it drops you into a location on the map. And all you are given at this point is. Uh, story prompts like your face in the water mm -hmm. or the last time you saw magic mm -hmm. and you you tell a story you you free form you role play and the scene ends when you use that prompt nice and so you're you're on the bridge your face in the water that can be thrown from the bridge or you look down you see your reflection and yeah. the scene comes to an end and then when everyone has picked a prompt from that location, they move the coin tokens to the next location on the map. They fall, And there's some forks in the road yeah. along the way where you can choose different directions. And then you have a scene for the whole group, including the magus. Oh, wow. And the magus is, is collaboratively controlled by the whole table. Yeah. There's no GM. And then once you arrive at the location, you each break off and you each pick a different prompt. You all go around until you've each had your moment and then you go to the next location on the map. And you keep going until either you run out of time and the story ends oh, wow. or you reach the end of the scroll and the story ends. And uh, there's so many different ways it can go. And the deeper into the scroll, the more introspective those prompts become and that the 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 more uh i find emotional yeah. and sad and dark and challenging the story gets mm -hmm. uh and and every single time somehow we get to the end and it feels like the whole thing was like orchestrated by fate and came around full circle mm -hmm. and uh and 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 yet that the characters when you start the game are not in any way defined you don't know anything about them and yeah one minor spoiler that you don't know the very first time you play the game is that all the locations that you can choose, like you can be a, a prince of Stormhold 
well, Stormhold is an actual place on the scroll that you might get to. Mm-hmm. And you're told not to unroll the whole scroll, but to roll it only what you need to see as you're playing. And so, so, so to not to see everything. So when you arrive in Stormhold, if you pick the Prince of Stormhold, well, now you're the Prince of Stormhold. <laughs> Why were you all the way back at the beginning? Why are you with the mages? And so you might've already been building up the world that you're in exile and now you're back yeah. in town and, 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 and you're having to confront your world building that oh, you were nice. just free forming with. Yeah. And the other game, that's given me chills that has no character creation at all. And yet those characters still stick with me is for the queen. Oh yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. And for the queen is a card game where Mm -hmm. you are, you are traveling together as a group to a distant land to broker a peace for a war you have always known. And the queen has chosen you to be part of her retinue because she knows you love her. That's all the world building you're given. And then the yeah. game begins and you start drawing from the top of the deck, a deck that you shuffle that starts giving mm-hmm. you prompts. Like the last time you saw the, it's very much the same rules as fall of magic. The last time yeah. you saw the, the, the queen's cruelty uh, or, or things like that. And you, and you narrate around and, and as you pick those cards, you begin mm-hmm. to re- discover who at the table is playing whom. And yeah. in the game we played, I was actually a prisoner of war that the queen oh. was holding on to me and returning me to this land to broker that peace. Oh, wow. But I had been, she was like a Sauron, like evil hive queen character who fed on the emotions of everyone around her as her language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was getting really out there, wow. very eldritch oh, uh, so stories. And so my character, for some reason, had been kept as a plaything because I was able to survive this feeding yeah. process in the ways that oh, others wow. couldn't. Then there was another character who was like her right hand who played chess because she was immune entirely to this power. And so she mm. would play games of, of strategy with her and, 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 and worked as like, like a lieutenant or, or like the mm-hmm. hand of the queen or things like oh, okay. that uh, because uh, she could speak for the queen because the queen herself didn't use words. She spoke oh, wow. only in feeling. And, yeah. uh, and so, so this, this alien creature <laughs> is taking to oh, this land wow. that when we arrive, the land is dead and it's all salt and blasted away and there was no peace there was no war there was no plan she this was actually a a long drawn out uh suicide note from the queen oh wow where she she had never intended to return this was her going to the elephant graveyard oh my and bringing us with her you just (laughs) like the soldiers to be buried in the tomb yeah no that's fantastic (laughs) oh my gosh and of course this game is told collaboratively so no one knows where it's going until at the very end, uh, somewhere in the middle of the deck, you've shuffled in a card that says the queen is under attack. You do you defend her? And one person at the table just said no. And he didn't explain why. And he never explained what happened after. Oh. And when we wanted to like, well, what happens next? What happens goes like the game's over. It ended. Oh, wow. The credits are rolling now. Oh. Right. And he just left it like, <laughs> like the end of the Sopranos. Oh no. Right. And he just, and it just cuts to like that. And so we're left to speculate and write fan fiction about our own game. Yeah. <laughs> because he wouldn't commit anything more to the story. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's just how it, that's how it went. Yeah, absolutely. He just stood back and he refused to draw his blade and he let them wow. descend on her. And, wow. uh, and the rest of us all like died in her defense. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and it was just one of those like, yeah. And, and yet there was no character creation process. Yeah. It, there was, but it was through, it was through the game itself. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, anyway, I don't, I don't know. I think it was something you were saying about anyone can wear the mask that just yeah. set me off on like these oh, two so- examples of games that have no character creation process and yet both times, yeah, those characters still give me chills. It's and I don't wild. know their names. They it's never wild. were given names. Yeah. Uh, there's so many games like that, and it's so wild when we encounter them and 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 get to uh, kind of have that 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 sort of existential experience. Uh, which kind of elevates our thoughts of what games can be. And that's kind of the impetus of what we wanted to accomplish with Character Creation Cast, mm-hmm. is to explore all these games and see if we could get those uh, little tidbits of those experiences uh, through the character creation process. Do you ever find a uh, bleed over between certain games? Because one yeah. of the things I, I, I have mentioned is... I, I would I I run dungeon I, I did before the pandemic I would run Dungeons and Dragons games at a restaurant yep. here in Toronto and for many of these people D and D is going to be the only game they're going to mm-hmm. play and but for me playing all of these other games helps inform me to ask questions about the rules yep. and the settings and the process so that when I return to Dungeons and Dragons I have much more of an informed intention mm-hmm. when I'm running those games that I wouldn't have had if I. D&D can facilitate that, but it doesn't write in how, it doesn't give you the tools to do that all the time, especially with like, how does the team know each other? How are they working together? Why have they chosen this admittedly terrible life of being a a, a vagabond adventurer? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Who would do this, right? And something like Forbidden Lands gives you a bit of backstory of of your tragedy that explains why you're where you are or... uh, or one of the favorite things that came out of that that I bring into every D&D game now is if you have a bard in your group, well, that bard is your chronicler of history. And the bard is always the butt end of the joke in D&D, but, but really without a bard, if an adventuring group dies in the woods and a bard isn't there to tell the tale, did it ever really happen? And, uh, and so I always ask that bard, who in the group are you singing about? Who's the hero in your stories? Oh, interesting. And do they know it or not? Yeah, that's really interesting. Right? Because you could be singing and they don't know that when they sing about the princess and the bear mm-hmm. that they're actually talking about one of the characters in the group. Uh, or, or they could be, you know, doing more like a toss a coin to your witcher where it's very clear that they're singing about the main character yeah, in that group. And, and, and that immediately for brand new players to D and D it like clicks, like it gives them a reason. Mm-hmm. It gives them, um, uh, uh, an impulse to follow mm-hmm. in the game that the player might not have had, but their character now does. Yeah. And, do you have do you, have you found many examples of that kind of bleed over when you're going from one game to another that your the lessons you've learned from one begin to inform on the other or or vice versa because I I can't help it always happens to me. It's kind of funny that you say that. Um, I'm gonna throw a little self promotion thing in here. I took like the first dozen or so episodes that we went through, or the the dozen or so series that we went through. And uh, I actually started creating my own game. Fun. So I, I started working on a game uh, that I am calling Chimera. Uh, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game where you blend multiple genres together and figure out what the world looks like from there and then figure out what your characters look like from there because you're actually blending two playbooks together as well. And can they be playbooks from other games or specifically Chimera? specifically from chimera so like right now we've got three genre modules uh for fantasy genre superhero genre and magical girls genre 
Uh, each genre module has 10 playbooks uh, in it. And then you choose two playbooks. That's a lot of playbooks for a Powered by Apocalypse game. You know that. It is it is so many. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, oh my goodness. E- yeah, each playbook They've has all got to pri- fit together into this yep. puzzle. Yep, each playbook has a primary page and a secondary page. And you basically say, what, what two stories do I want to blend together? It's as easy as that. Like, do I want to play... Uh, the survivor from the fantasy playbook who has just been trying to survive through life and team that up with maybe the stranded from the superhero playbook, somebody that's alien to the world that we're on, right? Either through like physically from another planet or maybe even from another dimension or something like that or another time. Could you even put them into like a like a deck of cards and shuffle and deal them out? Oh, I'm sure that you would could. combine them like randomly. I'm sure you could. That reminds me a little bit of um Zombie World yeah. has you have a past card and a present card and a trauma card and they're dealt to you and it randomly creates your beginning, middle and present. Oh yeah. That's a that's a power by apocalypse game that doesn't use playbooks because the, oh, the decks create so many versions of that playbook i also think of that it was magpie games uh, zombie world instead of playbooks you just have a past deck a present deck and a trauma deck and you're yeah. dealt two cards from your present because you get to have some control about who you currently are you pick mm-hmm. one you return the other and your past you don't get to choose who you were uh, but that card begins the game face down the yeah. rules in that card are active and are known to you as the player. But even the GM is not aware of what is under that card. And if you mm. want to use it, there's a prompt on the instructions on the card that explain how to reveal the card. Oh, and nice. then, so for the cop, you show someone your badge. Yeah. And, that, and then it reveals to the table that you used to be a cop. And then oh, you get access cool. to that special playbook ability that's unique to that card. Yeah. Um, but also for even the GM, you get to have that moment like, oh my goodness, you used to be a cop? You're so, like, like I get to have that surprise moment. Yeah. That everyone else at the table has. The person in our group, in a game I ran at a convention at Gen Con, who was like the person who did all the wet work for the team. Yeah. They would, they would, they would kill people that would come into the camp that they didn't want to keep around. And at the very end of the game, the game was over. He just pushed someone off the top of the building. Oh. He goes, and I used to be a doctor. And he flips the card over. Oh, no. And he's just looking down at his hands covered in blood. Now it roll credits. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, 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 and so what I just was thinking about, you know, you've got you've got you've got three sets of playbooks yeah, for now with yeah. with like uh, just under a dozen options in each set yep. that you can mix and match. That would be a fun way to do it. It'd be interesting to instead of just have three decks of cards. Yeah, and you oh, just go boom, 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 or or yeah. Anyway, sorry, I don't mean to immediately start designing your game for you, but that sounds really cool. And that's so you have to find ways to balance it so you don't end up. Mm-hmm. Um, it does one. <laughs> One playbook could break the whole game. It's so fun, uh, but it, it's powered by the apocalypse, right? And we, we kind of went the masks route in terms of power levels. Yeah. Because in masks, you can have uh, a normal, a, literally a normal person who's like, hey, I want I want to be a hero. I'm going to dress up like a hero. And, and another person can be Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, exactly. Who t- who's also can, happens you, to be a teenager. You can literally have those two uh, power sets on the same team and both can be effective, right? Yeah. Well, that's uh, so the that, Vision and Hawkeye, right? Yeah. In the Avengers. Exactly. Side by side. Yep. So so that's kind of what we were going for uh, with this. It, it doesn't matter what your power level is. Everything is based around emotions, right, in the game. Uh, so you've got your, your five attributes, uh, 
let's see, logical, optimistic, uh, valiant, energetic, and relaxed. And then you've got basic moves that covers across all genres. You've got genre moves that if you include that genre in your game, you get extra basic moves. Mm. And then you've got all your playbook moves and stuff, right? So it, it kind of all blends together. But uh, the whole point is, is I took uh, learnings from some of the best world building games, some of the best character creation uh, systems that we've covered on the show. And I have kind of blended the best of the best together into Chimera, uh, along with my design par partner, Amor Amaraz, who is just phenomenal uh, as both an individual and uh, their their brain is... Uh, I have so many folds. There's so, so many folds it's, in it's their brain. It's so good. It's, oh my gosh. Uh, and uh, their, their grasp on the math of role-playing uh, just kind of took things to an even higher level in our game, which is fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned Brandon Lee and Gambetta, and and I've seen you know I follow him on Twitter, and he he'll talk about like the math of like why you would choose one dice size over another yeah. in a game because of the different rules of probability that break mm -hmm. out, and 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 having so many different permutations and choices that go into it, and. <laughs> it, it, it and that that kind of thought that goes into like yeah. the, the statistic analysis that mm -hmm. goes into tabletop design that for me i would I, I think i'd be more like you focus more on the story being told and not on uh yeah but how does the chart break down for the percentages of success and fails and then how much that changes if you if you offer in a chance to do a re-roll and to add or take away dice and yeah <laughs> and i had a there was a conversation happening uh, on a facebook group on uh, the alien rpg because you can push your dice rolls and you can re-roll them and the rpg the book itself has a probability chart but the debate on facebook was like that this probability chart actually isn't correct to actual <laughs> if you break down the rules it and Oh, it's, it's such a, it's a conversation I'm never going to be a part of. All right. I can only watch. Yeah. <laughs> I can't participate. No, it's, it's, it's super interesting to watch because, uh, some of those conversations led us to throwing out PBTA dice, uh, entirely. And we went with the same PBTA scale, uh, six minus is a miss seven to nine partial success, 10 plus full success. Right. Um, we threw out all the bonuses. So all your attributes don't give bonuses. And we threw out 2d6 as a base and just said, you get this pool of dice uh, between d4s and d10s, assign one of each to your attributes. And if one gets upgraded, you step it up to the next size. If one gets downgraded, you step it down to the next size and roll straight. And the, the mathematics is you step a dice up one, that's like a plus one. Uh, you step two dice up, that's like a plus two. And it also has a tangible effect in your hand in a way that a plus one is like this invisible, it's hard to see it. Really interesting thing, though, is it leaves uh, two through six being still available. Uh, so even if you had if you had plus three, the lowest number you could roll on 2d6 is a five, right? Where here, the lowest is still two. Um, but the highest we could get up to rolling a That's 20, interesting. technically with yeah. 2d10, um, which is really fun. So we also implemented on most of our moves 13 plus uh, bonuses. So if you roll lucky 13 or higher, 
then you get something really cool that's extra. Um, so we're, we've been playtesting it for going on three years now. 2017, I started designing that in October. And the, the current iteration, we're, we're working towards a public release now. Um, that's going to be coming out probably within the next month or so. So you mentioned 2017. That predates the character creation cast. It does. So you've been you've been making this game in the background. Yeah. While you've been has this character creation cast then very sneakily been a form of research and development for you? Uh it turned out to be that way. Uh but yeah, it was literally I wanted to create this game because uh again, another Twitter thing of uh me adding uh Sendelino, Adela Mithland on tw- Twitter about something that she had commented on in Pandas Talking Games. The, the conversation led to genre blending, or genre blending, there we go, that's the right words. And basically, I wanted to blend superheroes and fantasy genres together. So my first thought was, hey, I've got these uh, Palladium uh, Heroes Unlimited books with all these superpowers, let's convert those superpowers to Dungeons and Dragons. 30 minutes later, I gave up on that idea because that's ridiculous. It's it, it would be an undertaking in and of itself. So I started creating something new, discovered Powered by the Apocalypse, did a bunch of research, uh, and my first Powered by the Apocalypse game that I ever played was me running a playtest of my game at a Catacon in 2017. And it was, it was garbage, but it was conceptually uh, really interesting. We came up with fun characters. We came up with a fun world uh, by just blending fantasy and superhero genres together. And uh, I still remember those characters uh, clear as day. And goodness, that feel of character creation has stuck across all the versions. And it has only been enhanced by everything that we've been putting into character creation cast. Everything that we've been learning from it. If we cover a new game that has this cool feature, I'm like, can this fit in Chimera? So Chimera has just become this, this like this place where like all of these ideas are getting distilled, effectively, and yeah, filtered through into this and refined, and yeah, it's uh, it's become something extremely beautiful. Um, probably, it's really embraced its its namesake, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, my my most memorable character creation session across all games was Gen Con 2019, the Sunday of Gen Con. Uh, so this is after everything's done and winding down. Me, uh, Rich Howard, uh, and a few others, we created characters in a world for five hours straight. Uh, we didn't even have a chance to play the game. Uh, we were just vibing off of creating these characters and creating this world and creating this rich history of this world. And it, it blew all of our minds, what we were able to come up with by just effectively collaborating together, almost GMless uh, at that point. Right. Um, where I would just interject a few things here and there and say, yeah, these are the rules for this and this, and this is what you have to pick and everything. But Goodness gracious, that went places, and uh, still to this day, we talk about it every now and then on just how wild and in-depth the, the characterization can, can get uh, in this game. You can, you can definitely see my passion for character creation shining through when, 
when that's kind of the shining star of uh, of the game itself. When you're actually playing Chimera and, and, and character creation is completed, mm-hmm. what's the intention on how the game itself plays? It sounds like you pick one of the three genres as your setting and you you actually uh you you take two at uh, two genres at least right and each genre during world building uh you pick tropes from each of the genres so uh like every genre has 10 world building tropes attached to it so you would go and say i want these two from fantasy and these four from superhero genres for instance mm-hmm. now you got a world that's like you know two to four ratio of fantasy tropes and superhero tropes. And you blend them together to a point where it's no longer tropes for fantasy versus tropes for superheroes. It's tropes for the world that you built together. Yeah. And now you're telling the story of your heroes, which your playbooks define in the world that you've built together. And you get to figure out what that looks like. Of course, that'll be unique every single time. Exactly. You could have the same character combinations, the same genre, the same uh, trope combinations, and have completely different worlds. Which feels so unique to a Powered by Apocalypse game, because even though you're part of the world building every time you play a game, a game like Monster Hearts or a game like Masks or Apocalypse World, they're always going to be the same movie. They're just going to be like, it's always going to take place in a high school or it's always going to take place in the wasteland or it's always going to take place in the city of heroes. Mm -hmm. And, and the, 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 the micro details of how this city of heroes operates or the rules for your monsters in that high school or, or the, the, the map of your wasteland, what's to the North and to the South, that'll change every time, but it's always going to be Mad Max. Exactly. It's it's always going to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's always going to be Teen Titans. And this sounds like, You've got a series of blenders you've set up, blending your characters, blending your world, and then also the rules themselves as the designer of the game, where you've been blending from other games to a puree to a point where you're not going to even tell where they're sourced (laughs) from. And all of these things blend together into, you know, by the time you go through all those stages, the game might be unrecognizable from another game at the table over playing the exact same game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've been toying with this idea and we actually implemented in a couple actual play uh, streams so far uh, the concept of micro genre modules where you're not introducing more playbooks, you're just introducing more rules. So uh, Amher uh, played with the mystery micro genre module and for an episode basically interjected mystery mechanics like trying to solve a mystery through various uh, moves and whatnot. So you're playing this superhero fantasy game and now you've got a little bit of knives out. Yep. Throwing in yeah. with a whodunit. Yeah, you get a whodunit in there. You can have like this noir feel to it if you want. You know, all the all the sort of tropes just for like an episode or two, right? Uh, so like if you're playing this at home, the whole idea is, hey, we just discovered this thing and now there's this huge mystery. Do we want to play the mystery genre for like kinda, a couple? Kind of like how Supernatural every season would have like one weird episode yeah. that jumps genres. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we've got rules for uh, like romance. Uh, we've got rules for mystery. We've got rules for horror, which I'm running with right now on my stream. And we've got rules as even for musicals. So if you want to have a musical episode in your home game, yeah. 
uh, you could throw in that. And uh, there's rules for when you can break out in song or uh, sh- shift the spotlight to you and all that sort of fun stuff. So it's kind of reminded me a little bit of it's a it's a it predates Magpie doing Power by Apocalypse, but um, the plays the thing the Shakespeare RPG. Okay, that um uh, was made by uh. Mark D.S. Truman. Oh, okay. And uh, it, this whole thing was done. It, it, it've also got a module for teachers to help teach mm. Shakespeare games. But you're part of a play troupe and you're uh, in in, uh, in Victorian England and you're putting on a Shakespeare story. Oh, okay. But back then, like Shakespeare was a notorious plagiarist. He was probably taking ideas from other theater troops yeah. and remixing them into his own plays, sometimes on the spot or during rehearsal. And other people, especially if you're doing histories, like if you're doing Julius Caesar or something, everyone knew the story of Julius Caesar. So the actors and the other people in the troupe would start offering their own ideas to change the script. Be like, well, Julius would never say this. He would actually <laughs> say this. And And what we get at the end are these written down scripts of Shakespeare, Mm. not realizing that at the time these were debated and improvised and remixed and probably never really performed the same way twice. Mm -hmm. And they're not today. They're treated like the constitution. You cannot amend it. You cannot change it. You cannot make any, these are, these are, it it, it is dogmatic text. Um, And that's just not true to what, what that originally was like. So the game tries to capture that feeling where you, you pick, you know, let's say Hamlet. And as you're playing through it, uh, you can you, you you give the synopsis of what is supposed to happen, mm-hmm. but as you're playing it, players can offer edits and changes, or change characters, oh, or cool. change like the best friend's now a horse, yeah. and, uh, and they can change <laughs> stories around, or you know, what if this time the murder doesn't happen and the wife gets away with yeah. it, and uh, or <laughs> they start changing things around, and it sounds a little not not exactly the same, but like the intention is there. Yeah for the players to get in and throw a screwdriver to take yep. a, a, a wrestling term in there and, and, and change the plan. Yeah. It, it's really interesting because this is our first time kind of playing with these micro modules. And uh, the, the mystery one, when I saw it on stream was just brilliant to kind of forward the plot like super fast uh, because that's, that's kind of what uh, they are kind of going for, for that one episode. So in like mm-hmm. a two hour time period, they, they solved this huge mystery uh, that, you know, effectively pushed them towards the end of the campaign. Um, in mine, I'm, I'm drawing out the horror a bit more. And so we're, we're going into like episode four, I think right now, three or four of the horror uh, module. You could literally do the Christmas special. You could, with those rules. you could. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I, I'm finding out after this horror module is done because we're doing uh, eldritch horror mixed in with uh, all three other genres. So we've got fantasy, superhero, and magical girls, uh, as well as eldritch horror. And we're about to get to a point where they're going to discover kind of some devastation that uh, that has happened on the surface while they've been stuck underground for two sessions. And oh, no. and now uh, it's like the final scene in uh, Cloverfield Lane, right? <laughs> where you find so, out that right. upstairs, it's very different than what you think it's going to be. Yeah, and and we're working towards a big kaiju battle, effectively. Oh. Right? Um, Does that mean a new genre? Where now we're going into monster movie, like giant big <laughs> monster, like Kong versus Godzilla, Pacific I mean, Rim? That that could be a possibility, right? We don't have that fleshed out, but um, uh, for now, I I'm just like okay. Uh, once we pull this horror module away, once they get rid of the threat, the horror module goes away. 
now there's all this devastation they have to deal with. Yeah. In their regular There's game. all this fallout. And yeah, exactly. So, like, the the modules are meant to just get slotted in, do what they need to do, get slotted out. And then leave a big old mess that you got to clean up. Like, you just had a big old house party and, and then everyone's left and you got to do the dishes. Yeah. Um, you could also play with them exclusively through the whole campaign if you wanted to. Um, so you could just play a whole horror campaign and then after a while your characters start, you know, getting knocked off because that's the that's part of the mechanics of the horror module. And you could deal with it at that point too. Um it's it's just so interesting the the directions that we've seen these games go from yeah. very traditional stories to like really emotional heart-wrenching stories to uh you know just real interesting cosmic sort of level but when you're ready to start sharing and getting that game out i i would love to give this a try uh and and check it out because it does sound like given my i i have loved power by apocalypse games on the show and 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 playing through them and doing Mm -hmm. that and and just to kind of have that it also feels like a love story to that whole genre of tabletop uh being told that you've done and Every Powered by Apocalypse game is, by its namesake, a hack of Apocalypse World. And yes. some games, uh, especially, I guess, earlier on, games like Monster Hearts or, or Sprawl or Masks, you can you can see which parts of Apocalypse World they took and which parts they mm-hmm. discarded. Other games like uh, Bluebeard's Bride, they get hacked a little bit more and it's a little bit harder to uh, identify yeah. the source of where it came from. This one sounds like less of a hack and more like a puree. Exactly. As I mentioned, where, yeah. where you have you have blended things so smooth mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, it, it, it becomes something new on the other end. Yeah, you can see a lot of influences from Masks uh, as well as Descent into Midnight. Uh, those are two of our biggest influencers from the PBTA genre. And have you been influenced by other non-PBTA games as well? I'm sure we have. <laughs> it's just uh, so much that it's hard to even know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Where did this come from? Uh, who knows? It's safe to assume without the character creation cast chimera would just not be in the form it is today no absolutely not it wouldn't it wouldn't be nearly as good as it is and the the lessons that i've learned because of character creation cast have just skyrocketed not only like my appreciation for character creation in other systems uh especially new ones that i haven't encountered before but it's also uh giving me an an insight into kind of how character creation systems are designed right uh and and that's kind of the big hook into how i um along with i'm uh blended all of this together into this uh this chimera soup of character creation we go through some older games like cyberpunk or palladium games and and there was a time i guess maybe in the 90s where every character creation system really just felt like the same one, even mm-hmm. though the but the rules of the game were different. Once you actually started yeah. playing and like you, the way they would handle, mostly the way they would handle combat, uh, yes. because a lot of these games were very combat focused. Um, and but character creation didn't matter if you were doing Dungeons and Dragons or Conan or mm-hmm. Mutants and Masterminds or any of those other classics. They were all very much once you saw the character sheet, it all, Oh, there's my character. There's my six or seven stats, my equipment, my power sets. Like they're all laid out very much the same way. And then like something in, once we turned the millennium, like a switch went off. Yeah. And, uh, and games like 
dogs in the vineyard started coming out or mm-hmm. games where, where they, the character creation involved world building as well, or yep. had characters where um, the stats were fluid or, or changing yep. or had uh, instead of uh, I'm thinking like mouse guard where you have uh, uh belief systems written into your character oh, yeah. that uh, your character never leaves someone behind or your mm-hmm. character always stands up for those who are weaker and, 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 and they're baked in now to your character sheet where the story becomes part of the character creation mm-hmm. rather than uh, one of my criticisms. We did cyberpunk red a few weeks ago and it has like a lifespan creation process that yeah. gives your character a background, but none of that informs the character mechanically in the game. Yeah. None of that has any kind of feedback into your stats or your skills, your mm-hmm. equipment, anything. You could cr- you 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 do one part, the stat building, and you do the other part, the story building, and they're completely independent from one another. Oh, interesting. Whereas the same lifespan creation is the same phrase used in Star Trek Adventures. Mm-hmm. And in Star Trek Adventures, the lifespan creation process, if you grew up in a colony world, you get plus two to daring. Mm-hmm. And if you you know went into operations and you had a, 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 an event where uh, you you lost a friend who died on an away mission, you get a, a medical skill or or some kind of focus based on 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 treating that or, or, or for the, the therapy you went through afterwards and you pick up skills and focuses and changes to your stats that are directly informed by your career up to the point where the game begins. Mm-hmm. And so you get an origin story and you get a character sheet and they're c- completely intertwined. Oh, you yeah. know, oh, this is why I'm daring because yep. one time I got in a shuttle crash and I had to bring the ship down and I was the only survivor. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, right. And so that explains why my stat is so high there. Mm-hmm. Or this is why I chose command because one time we, the Romulans attacked and the command crew, the bridge was, was, was taken out and I was the highest ranking officer on the ship and I was, and I had to take over. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so that explains all these things. And now you have these stories before the game begins and yeah. There was a time where, you know, Dungeons and Dragons always encouraged you to write an origin story. Yes. But it didn't, it wasn't affected by when you rolled your stats. Exactly. And those games where you could create your character separately, right? And then just bring them all to the table. Well, and then it it creates a problem in Dungeons and Dragons. How many stories do we have where you think you have a certain character? I'm playing a very competent cleric who is a demon hunter. And the minute I go up against a demon and I just get smacked around. Yep. It's like, well, I guess my entire origin story is a falsehood because I'm not this competent character. And then so many D&D games end up turning into less like the A-team and a little bit more like the Three Stooges. Yep, especially at first, yeah. (laughs) Right, where they're not, you don't know, and there's these, these... um, stumbling blocks where you're having to figure yep. out what kind of character you actually have on your sheet compared to the character you thought you had in your head. Yeah. And more and more games are coming out now. Games like Masks, where the character you have in your head is the character on yes. your sheet. They're the same character. They are competent. They are yeah. professional. They can do this thing that you as a player might not even be able to conceptualize at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my local group, actually, we started playing Beyond the Wall uh, in 2019, uh, which is an OCR, uh, sort of game, fantasy genre, traditional, uh, a little more, uh, a lot more rules light than Dungeons and Dragons, but it's still a little chunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it has a nice balance there, but the thing I love about it is the character creation. First of all, you build a village together, right? And as part of character creation, you answer these questions of your character's past, 
usually you'll be rolling on these tables and then that'll give you like uh, connections of where your character came from. And uh, every now and then there's like uh, an option for adding a place to your town. Um, and then another question will have an option for adding an NPC to the town. So you're not only defining your character, you're defining places and people in your small village. You've got this map. Already. You, you literally have yeah. a map as part of the game. You are, okay, now draw that blacksmith that you just created. That's great. Uh, and tell us where this person lives, that sort of stuff. Once you're done, you have a map of your village. You have a list of NPCs from your village. And you have a backstory of where your character came from. And these are supposed to be like younger characters, right? Mm -hmm. And then the whole point of the game is you grew up in this village your whole life. Now it's time to go beyond the wall and see what's out there. And whether you're pulled out there by fate or you decide to go adventuring, you know, that's all up to the group and everything. But just having all of that beanie backstory built into your characters uh, and having all these little uh, these things to pull on. Yeah. yeah, it's just been uh, such a joy seeing all of that pulled out. Like my character, uh, one of the things I rolled is they had, uh, they're, they're a noble character. Mm -hmm. um, they are part of the most prominent wealthy family in the area. And that shaped our town tremendously. Um, but my character apparently hung out with the commoners more than with her family. And my character actually had a tryst with one of the commoners. And that NPC is now a prominent support character uh, on our adventures. Interesting. Uh, which uh, which is really interesting because they've got a like a hirelings and allies system in this game that allows these NPCs to come along as extra helper characters yeah um so this this best friend of mine effectively is now like hey i want to come on the adventure with you because then i can help watch your back and then i'm saying sure and i will watch yours uh creates this this wonderful bit of drama that was wouldn't have been there had those like backstory things not been part of character creation right Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just works out really well. I love it so much. Another, I'm writing all these names down of these games I'm going to check out. <laughs> Three, four years of character creation. You've taken the best of the best and you're distilling it into the fine, triple filtered uh, uh, brew that will become Chimera. <laughs> and uh, what along this time, what are some of the pitfalls or takeaways of things to avoid in character creation what are when you're when you're opening up a game that you haven't gone through before and yeah. you and you see oh this again what is is there anything like <laughs> that out there that i guess my pet peeve that i just mentioned with with cyberpunk red how the origin story information and the character stats become so disconnected that they might as well be two different characters yeah is there is there anything that you've come across that you would plead designers to avoid or at least be more mindful of if this yeah. is the choices they're going to make? Well, I mean, there's so many games where you have to shoehorn in safety mechanics, uh, which I, I'm a big proponent of using safety mechanics at the table so you can have a safer game, so you can actually push boundaries while keeping everybody safe at the table. If you're all wearing your mouth guards and you got your helmets on and you're wearing your gloves and you're in a boxing match, you don't have to hold as many punches because you've got 
safety exactly. in mind now and you can actually box. Exactly. Whereas if you're just going bare knuckle boxing, you're going to knock teeth out. Exactly. And uh, it's Kate Bullock, who's now the community manager over at Magpie, who mm-hmm. is a local con organizer here in Toronto, who we were in a car ride and she mentioned to me going, a game that doesn't have safety mechanics built into the rules is like a car that doesn't have seatbelts. Yeah. And you wouldn't get into a car if it didn't have any seatbelts. Yep. And some of the older cars that are out there, classic cars on the road, don't have seatbelts because back in the 50s, they weren't required. Yep. And so understanding that when you're going to these classic games, that's just going to be par for the course. Mm-hmm. But brand new games being built without airbags and without seatbelts shouldn't be acceptable. Exactly. You have to modify it yourself and throw your own safety rules in there. Yeah. And and the X card is a great safety tool. Yeah. But so many games now that the X card is out there, I feel like... They, they give it a token mention on yep. a page and then it's like, great, now that you know about safety tools, let's get back to the game rather than a game that incorporates safety into its DNA. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's starting to become more prominent that that is, uh, you know, kept in mind, but it's not prominent enough yet. No. So, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest one is uh, you always have to keep safety in mind when you're going into these games. And one of the things that we put together uh, for the show is uh, we have uh, character evolution cast episodes uh, or before the pandemic. Uh, In the before times, uh, we used to do a series uh, which was all player-driven advice episodes uh, called character evolution cast. Uh, So it was the evolution of the character creation cast uh moniker this eventually spawned us to create a session zero document uh that can be applied to all games uh if you go to session zero.charactercreationcast.com it'll get you right there that has like a list of steps i guess you could say if you're not familiar with how to do a session zero of a game Mm -hmm. uh, we kind of outline your options in this document um, including a whole slew of different safety tools and where to find them and, and credit uh, where credit is due. And following along in this, uh, like creating your characters as a group is a thing you should be doing. Uh, not every game requires that, right? No. Now, PBTA almost uh, has to because yeah. you're all linked together in some way, shape, or form usually. Some but, prep work can be done in advance if you yeah. have a concept in mind, but the 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 nuts and bolts are going to be questions you're going to ask each other. Yeah. So you have and, to be there to ask those questions. Yeah. Even if it's on a Discord channel. And talking to each other is like like say what you want. Metagame talk is not a bad thing, in my opinion. And if you can say, hey, you know, in the next few sessions, it would be cool if I could see my character do this. Well, now you've just like put a potential cool plot point out there that you can all experience at the table together, right? It's one of those things that came up doing actual play podcasts where 
in order to get our story recorded in a single hour at a time, we would have to have a little bit of a breakdown before we started going, okay, what do we want to accomplish in this next hour? Yes. Oh, you want to go and have, you know, get the people in a riot so we can take on the city watch and, 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 and free the people from the prison. Okay. So now we know kind of where we want to storyboard ahead of time. Yeah. And, and we did that because so many games we were recording for the podcast were, were falling, like we were running out of time. We were going over time. It was like, how can yeah. we be more focused with our intention? Well, I should also be doing these in my table games <laughs> when we're not recording because there's nothing wrong with the going like, what do, what does your character want to accomplish yeah. today, right? And some games like Seven C have that written in, like mm-hmm. again baked into the character sheet where you have you carry you write in your story arc that like if you can accomplish this in this next hour, yeah. then you can get some additional advances to your character. That's also an indicator to the GM at the game going, this person wants to accomplish this in the next yeah. hour. So the other prerogative is on me is to open those doors to allow that to be accomplished and that's not going to happen if you don't talk to each other what is your one hour goal yeah (laughs) you know something as simple as that yeah and it's interesting because when you have that meta knowledge of the other characters sure some of the like personal surprise might not be there when those reveals do happen. Sure. But it's so much more satisfying when you can subtly like affect the story that pushes the story towards yeah. your friend's character's like ultimate goal. Right. Okay. I've done I've done five of these interviews and this is the fifth time I'm mentioning it in every single interview. Once again, I am brought back to Worldwide <laughs> Wrestling the RPG. Yes. The greatest game ever committed to pencil it is so ever good. committed to ink. And part of that mentioning that with meta rules, pro wrestling is constantly getting meta with itself. Yeah. Constantly being like, at the end of tonight, it's the no holds barred total cage match, you know, title match event of the year mm-hmm. and, and, and tune in tonight. So we know that's coming. Yes. So every single time you're cutting a promo, or you're talking to a player, or you're doing any of the build up matches or you're running in and interrupting, you know, at the end of this session, we are having that no holds barred Kate match title yes. match thing. And every, everything is aiming towards this. And so it gives everyone a target <laughs> to, yep. to stay on to. And, you know, y- y- Every time I mention it, and, and I, you're not one of them, because you already know the game, but when I mention World of Wrestling, the RPG, to the, for the first time, someone, they go, oh, come on, and they think it's a joke. I, I'm not kidding. It's, it's this so game, you do not expect, you do not have to be a wrestling fan. I am yeah. not a wrestling fan. If you go into this game, it is going to teach you how to tell a story. And you don't realize it's going to. It's going to teach you how to build connections with other characters. It's going to tell you how those relationships matter and how to build tension to then very, uh, uh, in in an exhilarating way, in a very rewarding way, release that tension and then have those arcs wrap up. And it's all built into the mechanics of the game where you're building heat to get momentum, to generate audience. and. And then every time you're 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 doing color commentary or cutting promos or trash talking to people at the table, it's all filling in because pro wrestling is just a soap opera. Yeah. Without any of the nuance. Exactly. Right. When when people walk out onto the ramp, you immediately know who to cheer for. You immediately know who to boo for. Yeah. And some other games revel in that nuance, but the players at the table need to know who to cheer for and need yeah. to know who to boo. Even if the characters don't, we need to know when you're watching, even when you're watching like a mystery movie, you're watching like Ocean's Eleven and all the characters are too cool to talk about. As the audience, the camera pans away and we see the evil eye, you know, yeah. shift around and we know who's about to, you know, we can 
tweak a little bit on who's about to betray the group and force uh, like like that is fun. Like you don't have yeah. to if you're planning to betray the group in the final hour and blow the bomb where they're all still in the building. Yeah. Don't be afraid to break that fourth wall and let the players see your character mm-hmm. putting the detonator into their pocket. Yeah. Now the characters can't react to that, but everyone at the table now has that added tension that if we were watching Die Hard, you would see and you would want to see as the audience. If at the very last minute, Hans Gruber pulled out some stupid machinima moment, it would cheapen the whole movie. Yeah. But we know when he's got something over McLean. Yes. Before McLean does. And so it's okay to tell the players something that your character doesn't know. Exactly. We're so afraid about nerd poker we're so afraid yep. about tipping our hand <laughs> and and we don't want to reveal that i've got this this royal flush ready to go yeah so you know that's part of the storytelling is you want to let you play with your cards up sometimes yeah and that, and that's what the safety mechanics are for too right uh and, and that actually goes hand in hand in safety mechanics sometimes because uh i know there's a lot of instances of uh personal betrayal being a line for some people right yeah so you don't want to just spring that on people you know that's something that you should be like okay we're gonna play this even if it's okay if you're playing a heist game right and it's gonna be 10 sessions long if at the beginning you say hey near the end of this if i betray you all is that cool and everybody's like yeah that'd be awesome but then you play it straight until that very last session yeah you might not probably forget about it (laughs) yeah and and then it'll be a huge surprise still but then but that's a really good point you might have someone at the table where that could be harmful exactly and 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 you don't want to what you think is this really clever twist that you're going to pull ends up being something that triggers a person at the table and 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 has them relive a terrible moment you don't want to do that's not worth a twist that's not fun. If if everybody at the table is not having fun, then something needs to change, yeah. right? Um, and if if somebody is in distress during a game, either either outwardly or or inwardly, uh, that's not good. And having these safety tools in yeah. the game allows people to be more comfortable to say, uh, "No, I don't think we should have this in the game, uh, with or without explanation." Right. We did have a moment like that happen on our show years ago. We kept the recording in there with the permission from the player. Yeah. Uh, we were playing a game of Monster Hearts and someone at the table did betray. And uh, uh, we had a character, uh, a player had to leave early. So it was decided between that hour that that character was going to get killed off uh, in, uh, and the big bad was going to reveal themselves. And But in, in play, one of the players sided with the big bad and left our, our character um, chained up in a basement for terrible things to happen. Yes. And, uh, and, and now uh, the language I would use is at that moment, safety was broken. Yes. And we didn't know we hadn't had those conversations about safety tools at that point. We didn't, we just didn't know. And he uh, got very upset, left the room. Um, We came back, we had to talk about it. We were able to bring things back. It was the game had really gotten under his skin and all of this, all of the accomplishments of the previous couple hours were being taken away as yeah. the villain was winning. And, uh, and, and, and at this moment he had just lost in the, in the narrative, uh, uh, quite everything yeah and 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 at this point now the game was not it was just not enjoyable right. and 
And, and so we had to have a talk about, okay, well, what are we going to do to, you know, bring things back in and try and repair the damage that had been done? But if we had had a conversation like you're suggesting in advance of, would it be okay if I betrayed the group at some point in the game? Like, are we okay with that kind of player versus player behavior? Yes. Or, um, or, or, you know, is, is death going to be something that is at mm-hmm. stake here? Because not every Powered by Apocalypse game has death exactly. uh, built in. And, um, uh, is, is, you know, are, are these yes or no or yellow light where we're going to check in and see, are we yeah. still okay with this? And if we had had that conversation, the exact game would probably still have played out. Yep. We just wouldn't have had that moment in the middle where we, someone almost quit the game exactly. and, and, and had to walk out and, and, and got very upset. And mm-hmm. uh, if we had found, uh, we, we, could, we could have avoided that harm exactly. from happening. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's why it's so important to have these tools baked into the systems themselves. So uh, it can be front and center before you even play the game saying, hey, this is not optional. This is something that when you're playing this game, you're going to be using these tools just as you use dice, just as you use pencil and paper or a PDF, uh, just as you use your imagination. You need to be using these safety tools so that everybody at the table knows that their that their opinion that their feelings are taken into account and that yeah. nobody's going to just pull a 180 uh, just for the sake of being clever whether or not you know it's a good storytelling choice uh that's up to debate uh depending on the group of course of course but just having that chance of breaking safety, uh, especially when you're going in deeper, especially if you're playing something like along the lines of a horror genre. Yeah. You want to make sure things are okay ahead of time. Especially when you're playing with people's personal fears. Exactly. <laughs> you're already playing something that is going to try and intentionally push that envelope. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening to our conversation and you're wondering, you know, how does that manifest? Like the X card I think makes sense to a lot of people now yeah. uh, and, 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 and it works, but how do you work in a, a safety mechanic into the game? And one example that was brought to me, I didn't realize was a safety mechanic built into the game, but it absolutely was. I mentioned Bluebeard's Bride earlier. Yeah. Bluebeard's Bride is a, is a horror game where you are playing a one character. Yeah. Uh, you're all aspects of that character, the sisters that live within the bride, uh, mm-hmm. the bride's psyche. And the bride is navigating this horror house where yes. uh, her husband is a serial killer and is probably going to kill her at the end of the game. Like, that yes. we tell the fairy tale at the beginning of the game so that everyone is aware that this betrayal is very likely to happen. Mm-hmm. So that it is not caught off guard that we are playing a game about a serial killer and, uh, and that exactly. you are going to become that victim. Yep. Um, and and the, the act of telling the fairy tale is a safety tool. Mm-hmm. So that you all know about it. But also in the game itself, it's a power by apocalypse game. One of the moves is called Shiver with Fear. Mm-hmm. And it is the only move in the game that is affected by the player, not the character. Oh, interesting. If a player at the table shudders from fear at something that was just mentioned at the table, the GM is to ask them what they are afraid about. They will tell them and the GM will tell them how it is worse. And if they have the ring, they have a choice to keep the ring on. And which is at that moment, they're, they're the one who's in command of the main character, mm-hmm. uh, or they can pass the ring to someone else. They don't get as many bonuses if they do, they chicken out, but they yeah. can hand the ring off to someone else and, and, and let them deal with that scene mm-hmm. now. And so that allows you to opt in and opt out of this scene, but yeah. also by offering up what you are afraid about 
and then the GM telling you how it's worse, you're also offering a consent of this is what I want to include in this horror game. It's yeah. not a negative thing. It's It was a move that when we played the game, everyone avoided using because mm -hmm. it felt like they were admitting a weakness. Yeah. When in reality, now I know better to frame that as this is one of the safety tools in the game. Yeah. You are going to tell me what you're afraid about because you want this detail in the game yeah. as an indicator of these are the things that not only am I afraid about, but these are also the things that I enjoy in horror. Yes. And, and, and I want to have in my horror stories. And yeah. so then I can, I can, I can amplify that. And then, and then if I go too far and I amplify it too much, yep. one, we have the X card, we can always rewind. And two, if it's a little bit into the yellow zone and you're just like, Ooh, that's really creepy, but I don't want to be a part of this. You can hand the ring and someone else Absolutely. can deal with that. And the person has to accept the ring that being given to them. So mm -hmm. if another person was like, I'm out, I don't want this, they can refuse to put the ring on. And mm -hmm. then and, and, and until someone at the table says it, and if no one wants it, then well, then the GM, that's you, you roll it back. Well, maybe it's not as bad. Exactly. <laughs> we can find something else that you're afraid of. Yeah. But that's an example of a safety tool that isn't called a safety tool. Yes. Right. It's just the move just in part the, game. Of the game. It's just part of the game. And it's just designed so that unconsciously the game is helping to navigate you around yeah. these landmines that can be in the mm -hmm. narrative of an, of an interactive horror. Yeah. Because when you go to watch a horror movie, it's a little bit different. You're someone else is telling you the story when you're involved in that yes. and you're complicit in it and you're interacting with it mm -hmm. and offering details to it, it becomes a very different level. It's anyway, so much that, different. But uh, that's, it, that, that's a good example though. Of, right. Like, there's, I've seen debates on Twitter of people complaining about how unfair it is to ask for you to work in these rules. Cause sometimes they don't yeah. work to your narrative or to your rules. But if Bluebeard's Bride, a game yeah. that deals with the themes that it deals with can work in one move that is yeah. just designed with the intention of keeping safety at the table. Oh, exactly. Then I don't know. I don't think anyone else has an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I know like uh, for horror, you're just lacking creativity. Right. And, and I know you, there are easy tools that you can incorporate in any games. Lines and veils is like the, the base one that I always go to lines, things you won't have show up in the games, period. No questions asked. Submit it to the GM uh, anonymously or not. Uh, and then the GM says, okay, these things are lines. We're not going to, none of these will come up in the story, yeah, period. They won't, come up, they won't be joked about. They won't yeah. be referenced. They won't be alluded to. Exactly. They, they do not exist in this universe. Yes. And then the veils are things that can happen, but we're, we're just going to fade to black. We'll not show it. Um, uh, one of the biggest things is like, uh, you know, sexual stuff. Yeah, the camera's uh, going to look up to the curtain and the curtain's exactly. going to move into the moonlight. And we exactly. know what's going on, but the cameras, it's just not going to happen in frame. Exactly. Or like excessive gore, things like that. Yeah. You know, things like, okay, yeah, it happened, but we don't need to describe it. Yeah, right? like even a PG-13 movie can have an axe going through a head, but the yeah. camera isn't going to show that. We're just going to see the axe go down, hear the sound. We know what happened, but we, we don't have to describe it. Exactly. Uh, but one thing I like to do for horror games is add a third list of fears. Mm -hmm. So before Th we even play... Cult Divinity Lost has a horror contract that you write that has yeah. an invitation. Yeah. What are you inviting to this game? Exactly. So I, I had my players uh, for the stream that I'm running give me a list of things they would love to see in the game that they are afraid of personally. Um, but that wouldn't be too scary to put into a game, right? Yeah. 
So now I've got this list of like a dozen items that I can just be like total darkness. Uh, yeah, that's going to happen at some point. Uh, you know, total darkness interrupted by, you know, like a, like a, a big thunderstorm where all you can see with the light is the flash of lightning. Yeah, that strobe light effect where yeah. the image is now burned into your vision. You yeah. don't know if they've moved. Um, it, it's stuff like That's that. That's very Silent Hill, yeah. You know, haunted Dolls uh, was on the list as well. So uh, you, I can throw in these yeah, little creepy tidbits. Creepy clown laughter. The little tidbits here and there from this list of fears that have just enhanced uh, yeah. their enjoyment of this this module. And my my goodness, having having lines and veils and, and if you're playing horror fears or... I guess you could almost apply that to almost any other genre of like, what sort of tropey things would you love to see in yeah, this? Yeah, if you're doing game? if you're doing a heist game, what's your what 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 is it about heists that you like? Yeah, what's your favorite? What's the favorite thing? Is it is it the planning bit? Is it the flashbacks? Is that yeah. moment at the very end where they go, aha, actually, I already switched the the bags around earlier, yep. and then you go through and you retcon everything. Some people hate that part of a heist movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So so tell me, what is it? Is it the ensemble? Is it the getting the team yeah. together? Like, what is it about heists that you really enjoy yeah and then if you because because that might be something that i might cut for time mm-hmm. <laughs> i might be like we don't have time to get the gang together so we're just yeah. gonna start with the job and he'd be like oh but that's like the whole that's the whole part, part where brad yeah. pitt goes to the pool hall and convinces the guy to join the team that's yeah. the whole that's the best part of the movie okay all right <laughs> then, then, then that's what we have to focus on exactly yeah and and talk having those conversations beforehand in a session zero session 0.5 session 0.75 doesn't matter how long it takes getting all those fun bits out there is going to make it so when you actually play the game if you're especially if you're planning for a campaign like people play campaigns for years sometimes if you have a bad session zero you might not get to session two why wouldn't you spend a week, uh, you know, a session, two sessions, three sessions, planning and getting what you want out of a three, four year. Yeah. A TV show doesn't just start with the pilot. A TV show starts with the show Bible that's written for years before they even commit to a pilot, which is again, not even the show itself. Yeah. And so what is your show Bible? What is it about your characters who might get introduced in the future? Like it is not bad. Yeah. during session zero to describe who the ultimate villain of this world might Absolutely. be. You won't mention it when the game starts because we don't know about this person yet. Mm-hmm. But but even in, like, again, back to Shakespeare, you've got your list of characters and it'll be yeah. like Banquo, so-and-so and so-and-so. And and you yeah. have like, you, you know who's on the cast list. You mm-hmm. know who's on the IMDb page mm-hmm. of your game before you start playing. And you know what? If someone is just not into a necromancer <laughs> as your yeah. ultimate villain... That's a good, maybe find that out in session zero. Exactly. Before you commit to a seven year arc. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where at the end of that, you go like, ah, the necromancer. And they go like, uh, oh, jeepers, not uh, the necromancer. Uh, it has nothing to do sucks. with what we've been that doing sucks. for the past six right, years. Exactly. It's like, I mean, it doesn't, it, it, it kind of sours the previous six years. Yeah. But goodness, it could have been so much better, right? If everyone had just talked about Lost. Mm-hmm. Before they recorded it, then maybe that finale would have been fine, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and also having a show Bible means like when I played the last time I played like a super long D&D game was when I was in college. Yeah. Too long ago now, but it was like a seven or eight year long game, but it wasn't one DM either. Mm -hmm. And when the DM would get exhausted, they would want to become a player and we would rotate around. Eventually one of us at every point in the game, we all ran the game. Yeah. And so if you've got that session zero template of what the intention, what, what is your big like seven year plan, right? Like when, when, when George Kaczynski wrote, Babylon 5, he had his five-year plan already written out. He knew where he wanted the major beats to be. If oh, you yeah. do that in your session zero as your group and everyone's part of it, I mean, you might forget about it by the fifth year, but when the next GM takes over the game, mm-hmm. they've got, oh yeah, I remember we were supposed to have, mm-hmm. you know, a big war breakout in the third year. So yeah, so we can, we can kind of stay true to that to a degree and you don't end up having, I guess, like the bickering director thing that happened with Star Wars, where you've got the next one coming in, retconning everything that happened in the previous movie. Right. And and of course it doesn't have to get that detailed. Um no. I know in our in our Beyond the Wall uh sessions um with my local group. But do you um, want to play a game in Dungeons and Dragons where you ultimately r- form a guild? Is right, that your exactly. goal? Or that's, do you want to just be thing, adventurers? Right? Do yeah. you want to do you want to retire and become king? Do you want to reclaim yep. your throne? What's, right? Like, what sort of end goal do you, does your right? character have in mind? Yeah. Aragorn has a theme when you first meet him as Strider, and he has to go through everything before he becomes the king of yeah. Gondor. But it doesn't hurt to maybe mention in the beginning of like yeah. this is what I would love to see. I would love to see my character start as a ranger and end as a paladin. Yes. Right. And like, I, 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 oh, I yeah. uh, maybe I don't have that figured out, but I would, I would love to look into cross-classing as exactly. I'm playing through the game. Yeah. Or I would love to, you know, if I'm playing in Star Trek, I want my character to be captain one day. That's yep. my career goal. What do you like the whole, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Conversation yeah. doesn't hurt. Like that might not happen in your game, mm-hmm. but it at least lets me know as a GM why you're playing. Yeah. I think right? a, a lot of people have backstories in mind when they start a game, but Having a like, what's your dreams of the future? What's your your dreams? What's your character's dream of where they want to go? Where are they going? Because you you don't just take a character with a backstory, plop them into the world, and then have them say, Well, I don't know what to do. Uh, let let story happen at me and I'll figure it out. No, they've got they were they were probably like, you know, at the very least, oh, I want to go to the baker and and get uh, a pastry because. I was I was hungry for pastries and now that's yeah, a character. Maybe my choice. goal today is I just want to drink. Yeah. Right? Like exactly. Geralt of Rivia, that is his goal every other day. Yeah. He just wants to get this job done so he can go back to the pub. And you know, that's good. That's good fodder to know for the story. Yeah. Because then as a GM, I'm just gonna make sure you never you're always something else keeps coming up. And you're just like, <laughs> exactly. I hate this job. And it just exactly. becomes a bit of an ongoing joke. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the uh, one of these things, this this conversation about communication, it doesn't end at session zero. No. Uh, I mentioned Kate earlier. She also has another really great thing she does at her table games that she mentioned to me. Uh, and I'm just gonna give her full credit for it. She called them love letters. Yes. And uh the as a GM between sessions she writes letters to the other characters mm-hmm. in character uh, to to them. So when they arrive at their next game, they act as a kind of in-world recap yeah. of what happened so that you remember the story, but also gives them something to aim for. And then they can write back to the GM and become like pen pals between sessions. Oh, nice. Which gives indications of this is what I'm hoping or this is how I felt about yeah. what just went down in the last job. And I really hope the next time we can do better with blank, blank, blank. And all of this, it's still kind of, it's still immersive. 
Yeah. But it also builds relationships between NPCs oh, and absolutely. PCs and the GM and the PC. And, and, and it gives everyone an indication as a way to consistently check in as mm-hmm. you're playing the game of like, is this going well? Is this going yeah. badly? Or going like, I really didn't think we were just going to end the whole time just fighting goblins every single day. I really mm-hmm. wish we could go and maybe just, you know, help people instead of just yeah. constantly fighting monsters or creatures that might not be monsters and are just actually poorly bad racial stereotypes. Yeah, and- well, that's that's absolutely true. And uh, we we actually covered a concept of the eight kinds of fun that you can have in any type of game on Character Creation Cast. And, like, that whole concept of let's just battle things is a challenge type of fun, right? So yeah. battling things, solving puzzles, that sort of stuff. People that love challenge love that those sorts of things. Making friends is a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Going into town and just making contacts yeah. and getting to know who lives there. Yeah. So it, it, Dungeons it, & Dragons mentions that the three pillars of their game are exploration, social, and combat. Exactly. But when... 80% of your book is dedicated to combat rules. It's going to it, be combat. It, 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 it makes, yeah, it makes you think that's the most important part of the game. Exactly. And when your experience is almost 100% from combat, it, it becomes the most important part of your game, right? But uh, when when you have this conversation of the eight kinds of fun with your group, you can you can figure out what your players love to do in the game and what your players want to get out of the game. It gives you this language that you can say. It's like, yeah. well, I love exploration. I love uh challenge uh but then this other player says you know i love story but you know what i also love exploration now you're going to have a game that's a a lot of focus on uh, exploration and discovery and and exploration and story can be the same thing because sometimes in a game like forbidden lands exploration ties itself into the lore of the land and you learn about the origins of this location or the legends that surround it which then feed into the stories that when you're ready to do story Mm -hmm. you've picked up all these stories that you can mention the next time you're in a town and you can ask about this you know is that real did that king really go off to that castle with his army and that war chest is still buried out there yes and like that's that's exploration technically yeah. no yeah absolutely but it's also very much feeds that if if story is is like yeah. the secondary thing that that's important to them yeah like if if there's one episode i would recommend of character creation cast for people to check out um with their groups uh not just by themselves uh it would be the eight kinds of fun episode with jim mcclure uh because it has changed people's groups for the better because uh, people were just assuming things beforehand. Yeah. But then they had these conversations and like, oh, oh, we haven't been doing that at all. Or we've been doing way too much and none of you are that enthused about that type of play. Maybe we should rework the way we play. And then you you work towards those two or three types of fun that people have kind of in common together with a little bit of the other stuff here and there as the game demands. And your your game sessions are going to be mind blowing in comparison. And, and uh, you know, it sounds like when I first came on to the Terrible Warriors, you know, it was all Dungeons and Dragons or Dungeons and Dragons like games that I had played. Yeah. And then I found Monster Hearts and we played that and, I, and it was this eye opening experience like, wow, an RPG can be this as well. Yeah. It can also do that. And 
not everyone is going to have the opportunity to play other games. If you're mm-hmm. in a specific group who's been playing one game of West End game, West End Star Wars since the yeah. 80s, that's going to be the game you're going to play. And exactly. you're not going to try something else. And and then you might not become aware of these other styles or other intentions exactly. of gameplay. And so I will, I will link to your Eight Kinds of Fun episode in our show notes so that yeah. um, people can go for it. Uh, Ryan, we've gone... <laughs> A little bit over. A little bit over. And so, so uh, obviously, there's a lot more. I hope I can have you back on again because I would love to talk more uh, about, um, you know, Chimera or, or I know you've got other projects, other podcasts that you're a part of. Absolutely. And uh, I'd love to talk about that. If we want to follow up with you, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? Um, Where should we go? Easiest place to follow me is on Twitter at Lord Neptune, all one word. Um, And that's Neptune as in the Sailor Scout, not Neptune as in the planet or God. Uh, Still spelled the same. Um, And are they spelled differently? (laughs) No, they're not. No, they're not. Great. Um, But you can can actually find Chimera if you're interested. Uh, You can find Chimera on Twitter at Chimera RPG um, or you can go to Chimera.games. I'm also online at LordNeptune.com. You can find Character Creation Cast at Creation Cast on Twitter or charactercreationcast.com. We're also on the One Shot Podcast Network. You can find some other projects that I'm in. Let's see. I, I do audio sound design for A Horror Borealis, uh, which is an actual play podcast uh, that uses Monster of the Week. Uh, as their game of choice uh, that goes over a story in a small town in Alaska in the 1990s. But right now they are playing uh, the Monster of the Week supplement by Christine Previs called Back to Dairy, where they are retelling the story of Stephen King's It uh, through improvisational uh, role play. Excellent. And I am doing the sound design for that. It is some of my best work yet. Uh, if you are a fan of horror, if you are a fan of it, if you're a fan of being scared, uh, 100% check out Losers, A Love Story, uh, a game about uh, fixing all the bad things in Stephen King's It and <laughs> uh, making a better story uh, from the ashes. That sounds amazing. It is and so good. That's that's really that's great. Ryan, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Um, this was a very long conversation because I can only imagine we, we have so much more to say. I want to have you come back because I dipped my toe into um, uh, editing audio, music and effects into uh, some other podcasts in the past year. Uh, and, and maybe maybe I have you back. We do like a inside the actor studio. Kind of thing. Oh. We can just talk about like uh, some of the choices we make uh, when when we're doing this for other shows. Yeah, I would really that. It's really interesting to me being able to elevate other recordings. Yeah. Uh, I'm not in it, yep. uh, but I can add beats and music and foreshadowing yep. into the stories with, with, with the music I've got on hand in my library to, uh, to, to work in. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and it's so rewarding to be able to do that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'd love to, I'd love to have you back and maybe we can, maybe we can talk about that. Yeah, this was a blast. I would absolutely love to be back sometime. And for you, my dear listener, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, check the show notes because every all the games, all the episodes we've been mentioning, these other projects, there's a lot of them. Uh, and uh, I can forgive you for not having a notepad yourself while you're listening to this, while you're doing whatever you were doing. They're all listed. All the links are in the show notes uh, available also at TerribleWarriors.com where we have also separated a whole section of podcast spotlights for all the other podcasts we've been interviewing on the show, as well as uh, very related to this conversation, our Session Zero series. Uh, we re 
revamped the homepage on TurboWarriors.com. So it's got the Session Zero section, the Spotlight section, as well as a rotating slideshow of all of the games we've been running since the very first year. I know for a bit I went through a little bit of an identity crisis and I removed all of the old episodes from our past (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and vaulted them. Uh, but the pandemic has had me uh, reevaluate everything. Uh, it, it's all back. Every single episode from the very first day of Terrible Warriors, warts and all. So I'm sorry, there's some stuff in there I'm not proud of. Uh, but go back and and it just it sounded bad. The microphones were not plugged in correctly. And uh, <laughs> uh, go back and have a listen. It's all available right from the very first day uh, available at TurboWarriors.com as well as uh, Patreon.com slash TurboWarriors. Uh, we're still going strong. We're still running private games every month if you want to join in on that. Any of the games we've mentioned in our Session Zero series I've been running, we've, we've run through uh, games of um, Spire as well. Uh, we love Spire and uh, we just did Morkborg we had a real blast with it and uh, I think Blades in the Dark we're going to be doing soon uh, so that's uh, you know have a look in that uh, and if that's if that's your jam that's how you'd like to support the show you can join in but also follow us on Patreon for free because I uh, offer uh, weekly or bi-weekly updates on, on the state of the show because I know Terrible Warriors is going through a bit of a flux right now and so if you want to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I'm doing it I bear all in those in those little blog posts and I put them up there if, if you're if you're interested in that. And I understand if you're not, that's fine too. Hang out with us on Twitter at Dice Warriors. And we got our Discord channel where right now I'm just talking about the Yakuza video games. Um that's that's kind of the only topic. Uh, that and our our theories about WandaVision. So it's all stuff that isn't just tabletop <laughs> happening on that Discord channel. Come join us. It's a lot of fun. Some of the people have joined up and made their own tabletop groups in that. So if you're looking for players to join in a game, if you're interested in some of their live streams that they're doing, we've got a fun little active community on our on our Discord channel. You'd be more than welcome to join us at. And uh, certainly, Ryan, uh, do you have a Discord channel or a Patreon page or other things uh, Yeah, yourself? you can actually uh, go to uh, discord.charactercreationcast.com to get our uh, Character Creation Cast Discord. You can also go to discord.chimera.games to get to our Chimera RPG Discord. Uh, those are the only two that I uh, technically own uh, that aren't a private Discord. So uh, yeah, you could find me there. You could chat with me there. You can chat with me on Twitter. I am a 100% uh, an open book for people to ask questions at uh, because I, I, I love interacting with people. So It's true. I reached out to him uh, as a cold call on Twitter a week ago, and he just sat down and recorded a two-hour, one-hour interview with me. <laughs> and it's so. been an absolute blast. So, <laughs> uh, Thank you again, Ryan, for joining us, and thank you for joining us, my dear listener. Until we meet again, don't exactly know what's coming up very much next, but follow us on Twitter to find out. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be a Session Zero game that we're recording very soon, uh, but uh, we will return with more Terrible Warriors. And until that fateful day, when we're all back together rolling dice at the table, be good to each other. Bye. Bye.